0: Book 11 of The Odyssey by Homer. Translated by Samuel Butler. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Odyssey. Book 11. The Visit to the Dead. Then, when we had got down to the seashore, we drew our ship into the water and got her mast and sails into her. We also put the sheep on board and took our places, weeping and in great distress of mind. Circe, that great and cunning goddess, sent us a fair wind that blew dead aft and stayed steadily with us keeping our sails all the time well filled. So we did whatever wanted doing to the ship's gear and let her go as the wind and helmsmen headed her. All day long her sails were full as she held her course over the sea, but when the sun went down and darkness was over all the earth we got into the deep waters of the river Oceanus, where lie the land and city of the Cimmerians, who live enshrouded in mist and darkness which the rays of the sun never pierce, neither at his rising nor as he goes down again out of the heavens. But the poor wretches live in one long melancholy night. When we got there we beached the ship, took the sheep out of her, and went along by the waters of Oceanus till we came to the place of which Circe had told us. Here Perimedes and Eurylochus held the victims, while I drew my sword and dug the trench a cubit each way." I made a drink-offering to all the dead, first with honey and milk, then with wine, and thirdly with water, and I sprinkled white barley meal over the whole, praying earnestly to the poor feckless ghosts, and promising them that when I got back to Ithaca I would sacrifice a barren heifer for them, the best I had, and would load the pyre with good things. I also particularly promised that Teresius should have a black sheep to himself, the best in all my flocks. When I had prayed sufficiently to the dead, I cut the throats of the two sheep, and let the blood run into the trench, whereon the ghosts came trooping up from Erebus, brides, young bachelors, old men worn out with toil, maids who had been crossed in love, and brave men who had been killed in battle, with their armor still smirched with blood. They came from every quarter and flitted round the trench with a strange kind of screaming sound that made me turn pale with fear. When I saw them coming, I told the men to be quick and flay the carcasses of the two dead sheep and make burnt offerings of them, and at the same time to repeat prayers to Hades and to Persephone, but I sat where I was with my sword drawn and would not let the poor feckless ghosts come near the blood till Tiresias should have answered my questions. The first ghost that came was that of my comrade Elpener, for he had not yet been laid beneath the earth. We had left his body unwaked and unburied in Circe's house, for we had had too much else to do. I was very sorry for him and cried when I saw him. Elpiner said I, "'how did you come down here into this gloom and darkness? You have got here on foot quicker than I have with my ship.' "'Sir,' he answered with a groan, "'it was all bad luck, and mine own unspeakable drunkenness. I was lying asleep on the top of Circe's house, had never thought of coming down again by the great staircase, but fell right off the roof and broke my neck, so my soul came down to the house of Hades. And now I beseech you, by all those whom you have left behind you, though they are not here, by your wife, by the father who brought you up when you were a child, and by Telemachus, who is the one hope of your house, do what I shall now ask you. I know that when you leave this limbo you will again hold your ship for the Ean Island. Do not go thence, leaving me unwaked and unburied behind you, or I may bring heaven's anger upon you. But burn me with whatever armor I have, build a barrow for me on the seashore, that may tell people in days to come what a poor unlucky fellow I was, and plant over my grave the oar I used to row with, when I was yet alive and with my messmates.' And I said, "'My poor fellow, I will do all that you have asked of me.' Thus then did we sit and hold sad talk with one another, I on the one side of the trench with my sword held over the blood, and the ghost of my comrade saying all this to me from the other side. Then came the ghost of my dead mother Anticlea, daughter to Autilochus. I had left her alive when I set out for Troy, and was moved to tears when I saw her, but even so, for all my sorrow, I would not let her come near the blood till I had asked my questions of Tiresias. Then came also the ghost of Theban Tiresias, with his golden sceptre in his hand. He knew me and said, Ulysses, noble son of Laertes, why, poor man, have you left the light of day and come down to visit the dead in this sad place? Stand back from the trench and withdraw your sword, that I may drink of the blood and answer your questions truly. So I drew back and sheathed my sword. Whereon, when he had drank of the blood, he began with his prophecy. "'You want to know,' said he, "'about your return home, but heaven will make this hard for you. I do not think that you will escape the eye of Neptune, who still nurses his bitter grudge against you for having blinded his son. Still, after much suffering, you may get home if you can restrain yourself and your companions when your ship reaches the Thrinacian island where you will find the sheep and cattle belonging to the sun, who sees and gives ear to everything. If you leave these flocks unharmed and think of nothing but getting home, you may yet after much hardship reach Ithaca, but if you harm them, then I forewarn you of the destruction both of your ship and of your men. Even though you may yourself escape, you will return in bad plight after losing all your men in another man's ship, and you will find trouble in your house, which will be overrun by high-handed people, who are devouring your substance under the pretext of paying court and making presents to your wife. When you get home you will take revenge on these suitors, and after you have killed them by force or fraud in your own house, you must take a well-made oar and carry it on and on, till you come to a country where the people have never heard of the sea.' and do not even mix salt with their food, nor do they know anything about ships, and oars that are as the wings of a ship. I will give you this certain token which cannot escape your notice. A wayfarer will meet you and will say it must be a winnowing shovel that you have got upon your shoulder. On this you must fix the oar in the ground and sacrifice a ram, a bull, and a boar to Neptune. Then go home and offer hecatombs to all the gods in heaven one after the other." as for yourself, death shall come to you from the sea, and your life shall ebb away very gently when you are full of years and peace of mind, and your people shall bless you. All that I have said will come true. This, I answered, must be as it may please heaven, but tell me and tell me and tell me true. I see my poor mother's ghost close by us. She is sitting by the blood without saying a word, and though I am her own son, she does not remember me and speak to me. Tell me, sir, how can I make her know me?' "'That,' said he, "'I can soon do. Any ghost that you let taste of the blood will talk to you like a reasonable being, but if you do not let them have any blood they will go away again.' On this the ghost of Tiresias went back to the house of Hades, for his prophesyings had now been spoken. But I sat where I was until my mother came up and tasted the blood. Then she knew me at once and spoke fondly to me, saying, My son, how did you come down to this abode of darkness while you are still alive? It is a hard thing for the living to see these places, for between us and them there are great and terrible waters, and there is Oceanus which no man can cross on foot, but he must have a good ship to take him. Are you all this time trying to find your way home from Troy, and have you never yet got back to Ithaca, nor seen your wife in your own house?' "'Mother,' said I, "'I was forced to come here to consult the ghost of the Theban prophet Tiresias. I have never yet been near the Achaean land, nor set foot on my native country.' and I have had nothing but one long series of misfortunes from the very first day that I set out with Agamemnon for Ilias, the land of noble steeds, to fight the Trojans. But tell me, and tell me true, in what way did you die? Did you have a long illness, or did heaven vouchsafe you a gentle easy passage to eternity? Tell me also about my father, and the son whom I left behind me. Is my property still in their hands, or has someone else got hold of it who thinks that I shall not return to claim it? Tell me again what my wife intends doing, and in what mind she is. Does she live with my son and guard my estate securely, or has she made the best match she could and married again?' My mother answered, "'Your wife still remains in your house, but she is in great distress of mind and spends her whole time in tears both night and day.' No one as yet has got possession of your fine property, and Telemachus still holds your lands undisturbed. He has to entertain largely, as of course he must, considering his position as a magistrate and how every one invites him. Your father remains at his old place in the country and never goes near the town. He has no comfortable bed nor bedding. In the winter he sleeps on the floor in front of the fire with the men and goes about all in rags but in summer, when the warm weather comes on again, he lies out in the vineyard on a bed of vine-leaves thrown anyhow upon the ground. He grieves continually about your never having come home, and suffers more and more as he grows older. As for my own end, it was in this wise. Heaven did not take me swiftly and painlessly in my own house, nor was I attacked by any illness such as those that generally wear people out and kill them but my longing to know what you were doing and the force of my affection for you—this it was that was the death of me. Then I tried to find some way of embracing my poor mother's ghost. Thrice I sprang towards her and tried to clasp her in my arms, but each time she flitted from my embrace as it were a dream or phantom, and being touched to the quick I said to her, Mother, why do you not stay still when I would embrace you? If we could throw our arms around one another we might find sad comfort in the sharing of our sorrows, even in the house of Hades. Does Prosperpony want to lay a still further load of grief upon me by mocking me with a phantom only?" "'My son,' she answered, "'most ill-fated of all mankind, it is not Prosperpony that is beguiling you, but all people are like this when they are dead. The sinews no longer hold the flesh and bones together. These perish in the fierceness of consuming fire as soon as life has left the body, and the soul flits away as though it were a dream. Now, however, go back to the light of day as soon as you can, and note all these things that you may tell them to your wife hereafter. Thus did we converse, and anon Prosperpene sent up the ghosts of the wives and daughters of all the most famous men. They gathered in crowds about the blood, and I considered how I might question them severally. In the end I deemed that it would be best to draw the keen blade that hung by my sturdy thigh and keep them from all drinking the blood at once. So they came up one after the other, and each one, as I questioned her, told me her race and lineage. The first I saw was Tyro. She was daughter of Salmonius and wife of Cretheus, the son of Aeolus. She fell in love with the river Inipius, who is much the most beautiful river in the whole world once, when she was taking a walk by his side as usual, Neptune, disguised as her lover, lay with her at the mouth of the river, and a huge blue wave arched itself like a mountain over them to hide both woman and God, whereon he loosed her virgin girdle and laid her in a deep slumber. When the god had accomplished the deed of love, he took her hand in his own and said, Tyro, rejoice in all good will. The embraces of the gods are not fruitless, and you will have fine twins about this time twelve months. Take great care of them. I am Neptune, so now go home, but hold your tongue and do not tell anyone. Then he dived under the sea, and she in due course bore Peleus and Nellius, who both of them served Jove with all their might. Peleus was a great breeder of sheep and lived in Iolcus, but the other lived in Pylos. The rest of her children were by Cretheus, namely Eson, Pheres, and Ametheon, who was a mighty warrior and charioteer. Next to her I saw Antiope, daughter to Asippus, who could boast of having slept in the arms of even Jove himself, and who bore him two sons, Amphion and Zethus. These founded Thebes with its seven gates, and built a wall all round it. For strong though they were, they could not hold Thebes till they had walled it. Then I saw Alcmena, the wife of Amphitryon, who also bore to Jove indomitable Hercules, and Megara, who was the daughter to great King Creon, and married the redoubtable son of Amphitryon. I also saw fair Epicaste, mother of King Aedipides, whose awful lot it was to marry her own son without suspecting it. He married her after having killed his father, but the gods proclaimed the whole story to the world whereon he remained king of Thebes, in great grief for the spite the gods had borne him. But Epicaste went to the house of the mighty jailer Hades, having hanged herself for grief, and the avenging spirits haunted him as for an outraged mother, to his ruin bitterly thereafter. Then I saw Chloris, whom Nellius married for her beauty, having given priceless presents for her. She was youngest daughter to Amphion, son of Aeasus, and king of Minion Orchomenus. And was queen in Pylos, she bore Nestor, Chromius, and Periclumnus, and she also bore that marvellously lovely woman Pero, who was wooed by all the country round. But Nellius would only give her to him who should raid the cattle of Iphicles from the grazing grounds of Phylese, and this was a hard task. The only man who would undertake to raid them was a certain excellent seer, but the will of heaven was against him, for the rangers of the cattle caught him and put him in prison. Nevertheless, when a full year had passed and the same season came round again, Iphicles set him at liberty, after he had expounded all the oracles of heaven. Thus then was the will of Jove accomplished. And I saw Leda, the wife of Tyndarus, who bore him two famous sons, Castor, breaker of horses, and Pollux, the mighty boxer. Both these heroes are lying under the earth, though they are still alive for by a special dispensation of Jove, they die and come to life again, each one of them every other day throughout all time, and they have the rank of gods. After her I saw Iphimedea, wife of Elias, who boasted the embrace of Neptune. She bore two sons, Otis and Ephialtes, but both were short-lived. They were the finest children that were ever born in this world, and the best-looking, Orion only, excepted. For at nine years old they were nine fathoms high, and measured nine cubits around the chest. They threatened to make war with the gods in Olympus, and tried to set Mount Osa on the top of Mount Olympus, and Mount Pelion on the top of Osa, that they might scale heaven itself. And they would have done it, too, if they had been grown up. But Apollo, son of Leto, killed both of them, before they had got so much as a sign of hair upon their cheeks or chin." Then I saw Phaedra and Procris, and fair Ariadne, daughter of the magician Minos, whom Theseus was carrying off from Crete to Athens, but he did not enjoy her, for before he could do so Diana killed her in the island of Dia on account of what Bacchus had said against her. I also saw Myra and Clemeny and hateful Arifili, who sold her own husband for gold. But it would take me all night if I were to name every single one of the wives and daughters of heroes whom I saw and it was time for me to go to bed, either on board ship with my crew or here. As for my escort, heaven and yourselves will see to it." Here he ended, and the guests sat all of them enthralled and speechless throughout the covered cloister. Then Arete said to them, "'What do you think of this man, Ophiations? Is he not tall and good-looking, and is he not clever?' "'True, he is my own guest,' but all of you share in the distinction. Do not be in a hurry to send him away, nor niggardly in the presents you make to one who is in such great need, for heaven has blessed all of you with great abundance.' Then spoke the aged hero Achenius, who was one of the oldest men among them. "'My friends,' said he, "'what our august queen has just said to us is both reasonable and to the purpose. Therefore be persuaded by it.' but the decision whether in word or deed rests ultimately with King Alcinous. "'The thing shall be done,' exclaimed Alcinous, "'as surely as I still live and reign over the Phaeacians. "'Our guest is indeed very anxious to get home. "'Still we must persuade him to remain with us until to-morrow, "'by which time I shall be able to get together the whole sum that I mean to give him. "'As regards his escort, it will be a matter for you all.' and mine above all others as the chief person among you.'